0: You're listening to the Dibbly Dobbly podcast. Remember to like, share, comment, subscribe, and click the bell to make sure you get the latest episodes of the podcast. Be sure to like and share our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, so, Trevor, moving on, let's talk about the Bradman collection. Let's talk about the collection in the museum at Adelaide Oval. Uh The Bradman collection has some priceless and personal artifacts which belonged to Sir Donald Bradman. Um, Also, the collection has other cricketing artifacts from the game's history um, here in South Australia, but also in Australian cricket as well. And uh, the collection and museum is is a must for everyone to go and see when visiting the Adelaide Oval. So, Trevor, explain to us, how is the collection and museum is preserving the history of Sir Donald Bradman and the game of cricket's history and what artefacts does the collection and museum have in its collection?
1: Okay, well, it's it's easy for the, the collection to uh, preserve the history of Sir Donald Brabham because what's in the collection are the things that he had in his home. So it's his personal collection, the things that he thought were um, were worthy of, of keeping. Uh, it came about uh, back in the, the 1960s. Both he and his wife were big collectors of um, newspaper articles. They kept all the letters, um, cards, postcards and that they got. And they had that many that um, they were approached by the State Library and the State Library offered to collate all of those things. And when they did, they ended up with 52 scrapbooks full. And uh, they're now in the National Library in Canberra. But the, the were were so impressed with what they did that later in life when they decided they needed to do something with the things they had at home, they thought of the state library, and it was actually donated to the state library of South Australia, who now own the collection. And it was Don's wish that some of it be displayed at Adelaide Oval, um, which it is now in a dedicated museum. So it really reflects not only his cricketing uh, abilities and cricketing records, but um, almost his life as well as things like a you know the typewriter he used when he when he was writing. Um, uh, Either books or, or uh, information for newspapers and things like that. So it, it's quite a personal collection for um, for Don Bradman.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, is there one item that people uh, just can't believe they've, they've seen of Bradman in the museum? Do you ever get that when people just ask you, "Wow, this is a striking uh, item." The I guess the the one that we like to point out to
1: people. Um, is a vase that uh, he was presented um, by the uh, uh, Worcester um, Porcelain Company because in Bradman's day, when they went to England, the first game was always at Worcester in front of the Worcester Cathedral at the ground there, a very pretty ground. Um, Bradman went to England four times. The first three times he went, he made a double century each time at Worcester. And so the Worcester Porcelain Company made this... um, blue uh, vase that was Don and Jessie's favourite piece of memorabilia. It sat on their mantelpiece at their uh, Kensington Gardens home. And um, that's, we always like pointing that out because we also have a cop on the, the vase itself. There's a um, an image of Bradman playing at the, the Worcester ground in front of the cathedral. And it's based on a photograph that was taken. And we actually have the photograph there as well. So we can point to both of them. Unfortunately, the fourth time that he went to England and he played at Worcester was after the, the war and so there'd been a gap of eight or nine years and he only made 107. So lucky he got the vase before he failed.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. But he always used to have those things made for him. I remember watching a bit of a news archive film of, of him on the ABC being presented with a, um, a porcelain figure of him. And yeah. it was a limited collection, I, I believe, of figures that were being sold to the public of him playing, you know, one of his cover drives or whatever. Yes. Um, so, yeah, just, well, he is arguably the, the greatest fatter that ever played. And and anything Bradman related is very collectible, isn't it?
1: Yes, there's all, there's all sorts of things in there. There's the... The ball that was used in his very first game for New South Wales when they played in Broken Hill as they were coming to South Australia to play the Shield game, and uh, he he batted in that game on a concrete pitch covered in matting, and he had to wear his street shoes because his cricket boots wouldn't work on a matting-covered concrete pitch. Um, I think he made 42 in that game, second-top score or something. Came onto Adelaide, played his debut Sheffield Shield game for New South Wales and made 117.
0: Well, that that was just the the genius of the man. And then the following year, he was uh, selected to play for Australia in the the first test um, of that Ashes series in 1928-29. Do you have, uh, you know, his baggy greens? Do you have his caps that he wore for Australia or South Australia and New South Wales at all in the collection or that's just other museums around Australia? Well, by the end of his career... Um,
1: he didn't own any of his own baggy greens. He didn't have one at home because in his day they were they were treated a bit like a, a pair of batting gloves mm. or anything else. They were yeah. handed out as souvenirs. But we do have a 1948 Invincibles baggy green of Bradman's in the collection, um, which came about as a bit of a bit of a surprise. It's been donated to the collection uh, when one was sold at auction. In the early 2000s for about four hundred thousand dollars this other one came to light and it turned out that um on that tour they were all given two caps and it was written into their contract and this particular cap bradman gave to the the man who was doing his banking in england at the time and uh it ended up with that person's son who had it at his school and and when the school heard of the um this other, the first 1948 cap selling for such a huge amount they put it in the safe because they weren't going to have it hanging in the pavilion any longer and the, the owner wanted it where it could be seen and displayed. So he offered it to the, the Bradman collection. So it's the one item that we have that Bradman didn't have it in his house.
0: Yes, well, it's such a, a rare piece, actually, because mm. um, that's the 1948 Invincibles then. Yes, yeah. Which Bradman was captain and he never lost a single, well, they never lost a single game of that tour. No. That's why they're the greatest Australian team to to play in England, uh, which is a remarkable achievement. Um, and, you know, that's where Bradman retired. That's that's his last tour. Yes. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later on when we talk about the man himself and his great achievements in, in the game. Um, any other items that you have in the collection that um, are quite historic in terms of South Australian cricket? I, I know you mentioned the Sheffield Shield, of course because South Australia is the custodians of that. Um, Any other historical items besides from Bradman that the museum has, either Australian cricket or South Australian cricket?
1: Um, Within the Oval itself, we've got um, items displayed in in quite a few places. I guess the other uh, significant items that we had, you mentioned um, Joe Darling hitting the six in Adelaide. We've got the bat that he hit it with in the committee room on display, and we also have um, on loan Don Bradman's first test bat, the bat he used in in Brisbane, um, that he eventually donated to the Sydney Children's Hospital to be used as a fundraiser. Um, and that, that's been sold several times, and at the moment it's on loan to, uh, to the Cricket Association in, in South Australia, and that's on display in our, uh, in our committee room. So that's a, a fairly significant piece of uh, Bradman history. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Um, do you have any other sporting items on display, or is it just purely Bradman and cricket um, in the collection or museum?
1: Um, within the Bradman collection itself, it's it's entirely Bradman. But around the ground, there are other other items. Um, we've got several uh, areas where there's um, baggy green caps um, from various South Australians. Some of in chapels. Uh, are on display there, and there's one area in the uh, in the oval called the Bodyline Bar, which is all about the um, the Bodyline series and particularly the Bodyline Test in in Adelaide, and that has memorabilia from that uh, from that era as well.
0: Yeah, um, but um, it, it must be the the one place that people want to to go and have a tour in the museum and have a look at those cricketing artifacts.
1: Yes. It's, um, as I said, it was Bradman's wish that the Bradman collection be uh, open and, and accessible to the public. And uh, Adelaide Oval is in a unique position because uh, as part of the parklands, we have to be open and accessible to the public. Now, things have changed these days with security and that, but uh, on non-event days, the, the southern gate at Adelaide Oval's always open. People can wander in, have a look at the ground from behind the seats, and go into the Bradman Collection and the Visitor Centre and, and see what's in there as well, which is rather unusual for a major sporting facility anywhere in the world to be sort of open business hours for anyone to wander in.
0: Yes, uh, it is uh, quite unusual for that to, to happen. Um, when was the um, the collection and the museum established and what year was, was that?
1: Okay, um, the museum or the collect- Bradman Collection that... Um, State Library got was officially unveiled in 1998 um, with a display in the uh, in the State Library, and in fact, to publicise it, the the main shopping uh, mall in Adelaide, the Rundle Mall, um, had its name changed for about a week to the Bradman Mall, and they changed all the street signs there, and so it was known as Bradman Mall for a week as part of the the publicising of the the Bradman Collection being open um, for viewing and that was at the state library and uh, now part of that collection's on show at the Adelaide Oval.
0: Yep Um, so Trevor just explain to us your role at Adelaide Oval as um, as a tour guide um, etc so just explain what do you do um, at Adelaide Oval?
1: Okay well I'm one of a a team of uh, volunteers who take guided tours of the Oval. We we run tours um, seven days a week, morning and afternoon, uh, public tours. We also do tours for school groups, um, corporate groups, and uh, and special tours for uh, particular themes at the Oval. Um, so we're always uh, we're always busy doing those sorts of things, and um, it's it's quite a quite an interesting role because we get not only the the cricket mad people or cricket enthusiasts, but um, quite a few people who just uh, like the look of Adelaide Oval and want to have a look and, and find out about it. So sometimes we're talking um, details about cricket and other times it's its architecture or um, grass, uh, all sorts of things that uh, that interest people. And we've had people from all sorts of countries that you wouldn't associate with, particularly with cricket, who've, who've come to the Adelaide Oval and uh, it's very difficult explaining cricket to someone who has never heard of the game or even Australian rules football because we talk a bit about that too because that's part of Adelaide Oval as well.
0: Yeah um, it, it must be a, the best job in the world isn't it um, working well, at Adelaide Oval?
1: It's totally different taking a group of people around Adelaide Oval on a, a nice warm day uh, than it is to being there when there's 40 000 or 50,000 people they're all cheering on a game. When there's Nothing going on on the grass. Um, it's it's a really pleasant environment to wander around and and have a good chat with people.
0: Yeah, um, ab- ab- absolutely. Um, if people want to go to Adelaide Oval for a tour, Trevor, where can they go and and do that? Where where who can they contact and access to um, organise that? They can
1: uh, tours can be booked and they can be booked through the um, Adelaide Oval. Uh, website, um, just go to the, the the tours link and they can book tours, um, or they can ring the uh, Adelaide Oval Concierge on 8211100 uh, and book a tour, or they can drop in and and uh, we'll, we'll take walk-up people for tours, providing they are booked out. So it's always preferable to book if they can, but um, if not, someone comes in for a tour, we'll try and squeeze them in anyway.
0: Absolutely. It's a, it's a must when you come into Adelaide either from overseas or interstate, it's a must to go to see Adelaide Oval and, and hopefully watch a, a sporting event there, either cricket or football or any other sport that the Oval has on at that time or even concerts. Yeah. Um,
1: and the tours go right around the ground and usually take about 90 minutes to, uh, to explore Adelaide Oval.
0: Uh, absolutely. Now, Trevor, let's talk about the Ashes and its connection to the Adelaide Oval. Seeing that the Ashes are on later later this year in England, we might as well talk about the Ashes because the Adelaide Oval has a, a strong connection with Ashes cricket over the years. It's witnessed many great moments in Ashes cricket um, that have happened in its history. Um, and the Ashes is full of history. It stretches over for 141 years, since 1882. And as you mentioned earlier, Trevor, the first Test match that was played at Adelaide Oval was Australian England. And that was in 1884, and that was the first official test, as we mentioned earlier. Um, England won by eight wickets. Australia were bowled out for 243 and 191. England 369 all out and were chasing 66 to win, and they did it with ease, finishing on two for 67. And England went on to win the 1884-85 Ashes Series in Australia, 3-2 and the best of five. And um, that was a couple of years after that, uh, test match at the Oval in 1882, where it gave birth to the Ashes legend, uh, which Australia won that Test match by seven runs in 1882. And Fred the Spoff of Demon took 14 wickets for the match; he got seven in both innings. Um, and Australia won by seven runs. It was a close, close game at the end. So, Trevor, tell us the history of the Ashes with Adelaide Oval. What's its connection um, over the years? Okay, okay well, uh, let's
1: said the first Test. 1884, um, since then there's been 81 tests at Adelaide Oval and 33 of those have been Ashes tests. So nearly half the tests at Adelaide Oval have been, been Ashes tests. Um, Australia have done pretty well at Adelaide Oval. I think of the 33 games we've won 19, um, lost nine and, and drawn five, I think, uh, that golden period of um, Giffen and, and uh uh, darling and hill and and Ernie Jones was a was a great period for Ashes Cricket. I think we won five straight games at of Ashes Cricket at Adelaide Oval in those days and that hasn't been surpassed since we, we've never managed to string together five in a row um since then. But uh, it's certainly uh a big event on this on Adelaide's sporting calendar uh an Ashes test and uh it's it holds the record for the biggest attendances um at adelaide oval the the recent ashes series we just managed to to pip the the attendance records from the body line series so you know the record stood from the 1930s up until a few years ago uh so adelaide still loves its ashes tests and um it's it's seen as the well it is the spiritual home of the barmy army it's where they actually first had their t-shirts printed so uh you know there's the english Uh, supporters really have a connection with Adelaide Oval and Ashes Cricket as well.
0: Absolutely. Um, And um, as you mentioned, so many great um, moments and test matches over the years. Um, Let's talk about some of those great Ashes moments at Adelaide Oval over the years because there's so many. um, To name a few, the Bodyline test, of course, 1932-33. We'll talk about that in a moment. Okay. uh, Because that's quite an interesting subject to talk about. And Adelaide Oval was in the centre of the tensions rising. Uh, So we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, Dennis Lilly in 1970-71, made his test debut at Adelaide Oval against England. He took 5 for 84 on debut. So he's on the honours board on debut at uh, Adelaide Oval in test matches. Mark Wars, test century on debut in 1990-91, scoring 138 um, in that test match. Um, Amazing Adelaide. 2006-07, 2006-07, who can remember that? Shane Warne bowling Australia to victory. Michael Hussey hitting the winning runs through cover uh, for Australia to win that amazing Test match. Um, Mitchell Johnson taking seven for 40 in 2013-14. Arguably one of the best spells of bowling I've ever seen in my time of watching the game. Um, and that was a, a very good performance from him. And South Australia's own uh, Test player, Greg Blewett, Scoring a, a test century on debut in the 1994 95 Ashes series. Um, he scored that century and debuted with a fellow South Australian teammate at the time, Peter McIntyre, yes. who uh, played in the same test as well. So that was good for South Australia. Seeing a couple of South Australians um, making their test debuts in an Ashes test. And for Greg Blewett, becoming one of many to score a test century on debut for Australia. And an Ashes one is quite special. There's so, so many mermits and ashes tests over the years at Adelaide Oval, and we'll be here all day talking about it, Trevor. Uh, There's just so many over the, over the years. Um, we so, can Trevor, in, in your one, opinion, sorry?
1: We can slot in one more debut um, at Adelaide Oval. It's going back a bit, but uh, Albert Trott in 1895 took, um, what was it, eight for 43, and he made 38 and 72, both not out. At Adelaide Oval, that eight for 43 is still the best debut bowling um, in any ma- any test match anywhere. So uh, that's a, another one for on the honour board at Adelaide Oval.
0: Absolutely. Um, so in your opinion, Trevor, what do you consider to be the great greatest Ashes moment at Adelaide Oval? You have to choose of your time of watching cricket. What's your best moment in Ashes cricket at the Adelaide Oval?
1: Oh, I was going to say the, um, the 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 greatest Ashes Test at Adelaide Oval would have to have been the the bodyline Test, but I didn't watch that one. Um, <laughs> um, I guess uh, it, it's difficult. There's there's that many events that have happened at Adelaide Oval, and you've mentioned a few of them um, that that come to mind that it's really difficult to pick out one and and leave out all the others um so i'm not really i find it difficult to to come up with with one moment yes i saw i saw Lily um you know blew it uh and those those innings but i have extreme difficulty picking out one it's just it just all goes together as part of the fabric of of cricket at adelaide oval yes it's like
0: it's like Picking your favourite child. It's, uh, really <laughs> oh, that. Yes, Yeah. But uh, if I had to choose one, probably Amazing Adelaide, two hundred seven, hands down, probably yeah. the best Mermit I saw. Um, Shane Warne, the late Shane Warne, of course, bowling non, non-stop from the uh, cathedral end um, at the Adelaide Oval, uh, the scoreboard end, for those yes. who don't know. Uh, bowled for two sessions and a bit straight from that end and um, bowled Australia to victory, really, and Australia were chasing 160 yards to win and won on the final session uh, in the closing moments. Um, so that's probably have to be the best for me personally. But as you said, there's so many moments, it's very hard to choose. They they all are worthy of being the best <laughs> at Adelaide Oval. but there's so many to choose from in Ashes cricket and in Test cricket as well. Um, Trevor, let's talk about the infamous third test match of the Body Lions series in 1932-33. One of the most difficult periods in Ash's cricket history, in particular the third test at the Adelaide Oval, where there was a potential riot, riot police were called. Uh, the crowd were displeased when Australian <laughs> captain at the time, Bill Woodford got struck over the heart while batting, and Australian wicketkeeper Bert Oldfield was struck on the head while batting. Uh, the riot never eventuated, thank goodness, and England won the test by a whopping... 338 runs, and they won the series 4-1 in the best of five. So, Trevor, tell us about that test match and why there were concerns of a potential riot that was going to happen at uh, Um, Adelaide Herbal that day.
1: Well, the the two sides came to Adelaide, uh, one all in the series, so it was a crucial test in the series. Um, And... Unfortunately, the the Adelaide crowd didn't really take to the English captain, Douglas Jardine, very well at all. And and he thrived in that environment. He he did all that he could to to annoy Australians. Um, They used to have the practice wickets at the northern end of the ground, and thousands used to go and watch them practice. And uh, when the the English were practicing, uh, one of their bowlers happened to bowl Jardine out the four thousand people that were there all cheered. So he went to Sacker and got the ground cleared. He didn't didn't like that very much. Um, so you yeah, know there was there was a fair bit of animosity there to start with, and then of course the the incident where the the two players got hit during the match. Uh, firstly, Bill Woodfull, and then uh, Bert Oldfield, uh, Sorry, Bill Woodfull and Bert Oldfield. Um Neither of those were actually uh, using a body line field. They were, they were just short pitch balls at the time that uh, happened to be very good balls that, that struck the, the two of them. Well, um, Woodfield got struck. Bert Oldfield actually uh, tried to um, hit the ball out of the ground, I think, and it caught the top edge and ricocheted onto his uh, his head and fractured his skull. But uh, what I think really upset the crowd with the uh, the Bill Woodfield one was after he was, was struck, uh, Jardine called out to his bowler in a voice that everyone around the ground heard. Well bowled, Harold, because Bill Woodville was was something of a, a hero in Australia. So that didn't go down well with the crowd, and um, that's where the the tensions rose. Um, the extra police were called, and uh, and it looked as if um, there could it could get really nasty. And in fact, I think wisdom. Has labelled the bodyline test as the nastiest test ever played. It was one of the quotes that they used for it. Mm. Um, and at night, one of our ground staff at the Adelaide Oval was actually stationed out on the pitch with a with a shotgun or a rifle, had to guard the pitch because they were really worried that someone would get that upset with the the way the play was going, they'd try and uh, disrupt the match by. Going out and and damaging the pitch, so uh, that the gun that was used is actually on display in the body line bar at uh, at Adelaide Oval, um, where the where the groundsman did that. But yeah, so it was uh, the tensions really rose. To to give an idea of of what it was, what the tension was like. Evidently um, Harold Larwood, while he was in Adelaide, went to the movies one night here, and uh, he sat down in the movies and behind him sat a woman and her young son. And the, the, he heard the woman say to her young son, oh, that's uh, Harold law with English fast bowler sitting in front of you. And the lad turned to his mum and said, but mummy, he doesn't look like a murderer. So yeah. that's the sort of tensions that were that were going on. And um, and Jardine did very little to, to calm them down. If anything, he, he fueled them because, you know, he was there to win a test test match and uh, curtail Bradman's brilliance and um, he, he would do anything he could. It, the match itself was significant for a couple of other things. It it actually caused Braz, Bradman to change his batting style. In, after failing in the first innings, in the second innings, um, before he went out, he said he was going out to uh, hit them before they hit him. And he, he played what we'd describe as a, a T20 innings. These days, he scored 66 off about 73 balls in 71 minutes. He hit one of the only two sixes he hit in Australia in his career. He only hit six in his career. Four of them were in England. The other two were on Adelaide Oval. And during that match, he also took a wicket. Now, he's not known for his bowling as a leg spinner, but he took two wickets in his test career, and one was um, in the final over of a day, during the body line test on what was described as the worst ball bowled in the day was a rank full toss to, to Wally Hammond who tried to strike it out of the ground and clean bowling. So there's yeah. a couple of, sort of historical links in in terms of Bradman's career to the uh, Adelaide Oval as well and the body line test.
0: Absolutely. And um, you mentioned it there with Johnny saying, well, bowled, Harold. I think um, Bradman was at the non-striker's end of the time, apparently, and that was meant to unsettle him rather yes. than Bill Woodford. Um, and then obviously the MCC manager, Plum Warner, mm-hmm. went into the Australian dressing rooms to see if Mr Woodford was okay. And I think Bill Woodford reportedly replied, I don't want to see you, Mr Warner. Um, there are two sides out there. One is trying to play cricket. The other is not. Yeah, one of and the then most he, later, he later added, the game is too good to be spoiled. It's time for some people to get out of it. And that was really the first inkling of Bill Woodford not being pleased with bodylight because he was quite a very calm, reassured person. He wasn't um, a person who showed his emotions. He was calm, kind, courteous. But that was the first time that he was unhappy about proceedings, um, especially when he got hit yes. um, in, uh, on that day in, in Adelaide.
1: Well, um, and uh, Bert Oldfield, when he got struck, um, of course, with a fractured skull, he had to miss the next test, but he played in the fifth test, and that fourth test um, that he missed was the only match he missed during his test career. So I guess it's all right to miss one if you've got a fractured skull.
0: Yes, he was he was in a bad way yes. um, after that, and um, he, as you mentioned, had a fractured skull and uh, had to miss the, the next test, which was in uh, Brisbane at the Gabba. Mm-hmm which um, England won by six wickets. Yes. And uh, the only test that Australia won was the second test, and that was in Melbourne, where they won by 11, 11 runs. And as you said, the series was one all, headed into Adelaide, and then uh, England won by 338 runs and nearly a potential riot that eventuated Adelaide Herbal. But thank goodness it didn't happen. But it's one of those talking points, isn't it, uh, yes. that, that often people talk about uh, with body line. And that's where it really got fired up. And obviously Bradman, you know, had an effect on him. 396 runs in the series, average of 56. One century, which came in um, Melbourne in the the second test. He he didn't play the first test. He was ill in Sydney. Uh, So he came back for the second test in Melbourne. He batted for 185 minutes and got out for a golden duck in the first innings by Bill Bowes, uh, England bowler, Got, got bowled. And then in the second innings, he got 103 not out. So he managed to score a century. Um, against that type of bowling and facing Lawood and all that. Um, but, um, you know, understandable from Jardine to do that because in 1930 he had a very wonderful series, 974 runs, and an average of 139. So it's a big difference between 1930 and 1932-33. So well, if um, he's going Jardine to- let Sorry? If, his,
1: if his name wasn't Bradman, um, a fifty-six average in a Test series wouldn't be too bad.
0: No, it's not. It's pretty good, but but Bradman's standards, yeah. um, mm. it wasn't. Um, it was quite underwhelming. Yes. But um, you know, Jardine leapt up from watching the film footage uh, from nineteen thirty at the Oval, and he said, nah, "I've got him. He's yeah. Yeller." Um, so, um, in the end, it sort of worked. Really, uh, the Australians couldn't cope with body line, and England went on to win the series and um, get the Ashes um, back because um, mm. they lost them in 1930 after they got them back in 1928-29 when Bradman made his debut in that, um, that series. Fortunately,
1: Jardine had the fast bowlers who could do what they needed to do.
0: Yes, and I, and I think some of the English bo- uh, English bashers said, if Australia did this to us, oh, yeah, uh, no, that, that wouldn't be nice um, <laughs> to do that. Um, but um, it's an interesting talking point in Ashes cricket history. Yes. Uh, the, the body line. And uh, people still talk about it to this day. Um, and especially uh, when referring to Adelaide Oval in that third Test match uh, yes. on that occasion. Um, Trevor, for our last discussion point and topic for this discussion today, it's been an enjoyable discussion. I've enjoyed it immensely, Trevor. And I hope you have as well, and I hope everyone listening and watching has as well. Um, It's been fascinating talking about Adelaide Oval's history um, within cricket, not only in Australia but also South Australia. But for our last topic, Trevor, let's talk about the great man himself, Sir Donald George Radman, and uh, one of the best ever players to play cricket for Australia and one of the best batters ever in the world. Um, Let's talk about his connection to Adelaide Oval and South Australia, of course. Um, But let's just run through a a list of some of his achievements. Um, He played from 1928 to 1948 for Australian Test cricket, 52 matches, 996 runs, average of 99.94, obviously 29 Test centuries in Test cricket. In Sheffield Shield cricket, he did very well as well, averaging 110, high score of 452 not out, which is still a record to this day, which is never going to be broken, 8,926 runs, 36 Sheffield Shield centuries in 62 matches, um, which is uh, quite a lot in those days. Uh, Mm -hmm. Didn't play a lot of cricket back in those days when Radman played. Um, It is the highest individual score by batter in Sheffield Shield cricket history. Uh, For New South Wales against Queensland in Sydney, the SCG in 1930, he batted for 415 minutes, scoring just under a run a minute. So it just shows you how good he was. And the previous record, which was held by the great Australian and Victorian batter, Bill Ponsford, had the record previously of 437, and it took Ponsford 621 minutes to score 437. So it just shows you how good Bradman was. He did it in less minutes, and he scored more runs than Bill Ponsford, which is quite remarkable when you look at it. And in first-class cricket, averaging 95, 117 centuries and 234 matches, it's It's quite staggering when you look at those numbers and his list of achievements when it comes to batting records is endless and probably will never be broken. Obviously, the highest test batting average, of course, 99.94. Scored the most runs in a single day's play, 309 versus England in hitting Leeds, 1930, where he got 334. Um, He's one of only two batters to score two triple centuries in test cricket. Um, He got 334. And 304 in the next tour to England, 1934 at Headingley again. So it must be about something about Henningley that's pretty good with uh-huh. Bradman. That's rescored his two triple centuries. Um, and also Brian Lara, of course, is the other one yes. who's got two triple centuries because he got 375 and 400 not out. And I do believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Trevor, that uh, when Brian Lara played that Test match at the Adelaide Oval when the West Indies came out in 2005, he broke. Uh, the leading run-scoring record, which was held by Alan Border at the time. He got 200, Lara, and he went past that record. And he was a very good player. So him and Bradman, the only two to score two triple centuries in Test cricket. And no one else will ever do that. He's the only Test batter to score more than 5,000 runs versus an opponent. It's obvious because he played most of his cricket against England. So 5,028 runs against England out of his 696 So too many to list. We'll be here all day, Trevor, listing Sir Donald's achievements and records because there's just so many. Um, His test debut was in Brisbane at the Exhibition Ground, which is an old ground in Australian cricket, which is not used anymore. It was used in the 20s, 1928-29, with Bradman debuted there. Um, He made 18-1, and then got dropped after that first test. England won by 675 runs, which was a big margin in those days. And it still is, um, if you get beaten by that today in today's cricket. But uh, England had some good players in that 11. Hobbs, Sutcliffe, Hammond, and we mentioned Bodyline, Jardine and Larwood were playing in that test as well. Um, who would have known that a few years later they would concoct a, a devious scheme to contain the genius that was Sir Donald Bradman. But uh, Don Bradman came back for the third test in Melbourne, scored 79 and 112. And Trevor as they say, the rest is history never got dropped again. Um, England won that test by three wickets in the Ashes, um, four one in the best of five. And then his final test match was at the Oval in 1948 for the Invincibles where he led the side, never lost a game on the tour, needed four runs to average a hundred. And he was bowled by English spinner, Eric Hollies, for a duck. And I think Hollies wrote, I don't think Don saw it properly. He seemed to have tears in his eyes, um, allegedly. Um, <laughs> and I think when Bradman uh, returned to the dressing rooms, he said, gee whiz, fancy doing, doing that, yeah. <laughs> getting bowled. Uh, it wasn't to be, but a remarkable career, uh, which ended uh, for, for such a long time. Uh, You've got to remember that World War II was in action in, in his career, so uh, when Bradman was in the prime of his career, uh, it was during the war years. So when he came back in 1946, because the Australian cricket board or the Australian board of control for cricket in those days, wanted Bradman to come back and get cricket started after the war, he was sort of towards the later side of 40s. Yes. So, um, but he was still able to do what he did in his early days. Um, and in 1949, uh, he was knighted for his services to cricket, the first Australian cricketer ever to be knighted. So, Trevor, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you're thinking about Bradman?
1: Well, I was just going to add one more piece of trivia to all of those stats. The first bowler he faced in Brisbane in his very first test was Harold Larwood. And he took his first run off Harold Larwood. And then you know, a few years later he was ducking him in, in Adelaide in the Bodyline Series. But hmm. um, what do I think of, of Brad? Just the sheer talent, I think, of of uh, the man that was that much better than than anybody else, his contemporaries or anyone who came before or after. So certainly his his cricketing talent, and I suppose the um, the approach to the game that he had uh, as a player it was a it was a fair approach. Um, you know, the game was there to be played, and and he played it uh, as fairly and as as squarely as he could.
0: Yes. Um absolutely he did and um yeah it's just staggering when you read when I read out those stats and bits of trivia you know it's just it's mind-boggling that someone can do that in in cricket and he played in a very different time to today if he played today he would have been 10 times or even better than he was in his time playing in uh, the 20s and 40s and through the 30s as well um it's just staggering to to see one person achieve such greatness in the game of cricket, which everyone still talks about to this day, and uh, that's sort of sort of the thing with Bradman—he sort of that um, you know he was the greatest of all time—and you know people like our grandfathers or grandmothers or great grandmothers and grandfathers had the privilege of watching him play, whereas uh, me and you and other people didn't, sadly because we were born in a different time. But uh, it would have been nice to see him that live, of course. Uh, yes, we still get lot
1: of people that come on our tours, and the first thing they want to tell us is,
0: you
1: know, oh, I saw Bradman back. You know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely it is. Uh, Trevor, let's talk about his um, childhood, so Donald's childhood, uh, growing up and getting into cricket. Now, we've all seen the footage of Don hitting the golf ball up against <laughs> the bank stand with a stump. Uh, He was demonstrating what he did as a kid. Um, He also practiced catching by throwing a ball up against a picket fence Hmm. in his house and barrel. Um, He made it look so easy hitting that golf ball with a stump off the tank stand. But for those who've tried, it's not that simple, and I've tried up against the brick wall at home. Uh, I could only manage hitting the ball probably a couple of times and then I couldn't do it after that. (laughs) Um, um, So it's not that easy. Uh, So... Do you have that in the in the museum? I know they have that in barrel, Trevor. Do, yes, do you I've have got that a replica?
1: Where... A replica and you can go in and and practice away.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I think many people will be just swinging in the air and missing the ball altogether. Uh, so, Trevor, for the tell us for those who may not know, where did Sir Don grow up and where was he born and how he got started in cricket in his early formative years?
1: Okay, well, he he was born in Cootamundra in New South Wales. And uh, the family moved to Barrow when, when he was about two. And uh, they lived not far from, from the Oval. It's now the um, Bradman Oval. And uh, as a youngster, he played at school, uh, played cricket. He also played tennis, evidently, as a youngster. He was a very good tennis player. And his wife had said in interviews later in life that there was always a chance he was going to play tennis and not cricket. Uh, fortunately for Australia, he played cricket. Um, otherwise, he might have won more Davis Cups or something. Uh, but, um, yeah, he played at school and uh, he eventually started playing for Barrel. His father played for Barrel and uh, he was often, as a young lad, the scorer for the team. And uh, one day there was the classic story of someone wasn't there, so he filled in um, and started playing for Barrel. Played about six or seven seasons with Barrel as a as a teenager, and then uh, eventually got invited to um, St George's in Sydney. So he would uh, he regularly go down to St George and play. And he said that the um, the hardest thing about playing at St George was getting used to playing on turf wickets, because he up until that time he'd never played on a turf wicket. And uh, it was only a season or two with St George, and he was into the New South Wales side. Um, made his debut here in uh, in Adelaide at the Adelaide the Shield game. And um, from there, uh, all the stats that you uh, just quoted started to uh, emerge.
0: Yes, uh, absolutely. And, um, well, he was a genius uh, after all. And you could see and when he debuted in first-class cricket, which was 27 28 obviously the following year he was selected to play for Australia in yes. 28 29 and the rest is history, as I as I mentioned before. Um, so it's quite interesting to hear about his origins, where he grew up, and how he started to get into cricket. And um, he he also met uh, Lady Jessie, of course, um, when they went to school.
1: Yes, um, she boarded with the Bradmans for a year. She lived on a farm outside of Barrel and there was no bus to bring her into school. So the the families arranged for her to uh, to live with the the Bradmans on weekdays and uh, they used to go to school together. It did take him about 10 or 11 years to uh, mm. get to uh, propose to her, but, uh, yeah, they met as the schoolchildren.
0: I think he said, well, like, I crashed my bike, so I was a bit scratched yes. up and bunged up. I, I think I hit the doctor's car or something, he said. That was their
1: first meeting. He came mm. home with yes. bike and scratches all over his face, evidently.
0: Yes. But uh, he always said it was probably the most wonderful partnership of mine. Yes life. And they were very close yes. um, uh, when they were married. I think they got married in the in the 30s, I think, uh, reading something from...
1: Yeah, early 30s, because he was only mm. married a bit over 12 months when they moved to Adelaide.
0: Yes, and, and that's the next thing we've got to talk about, Trevor. Um, as you mentioned, um, Sir Donald moved to Adelaide uh, from New South Wales. He very early on in his cricket career, in the early 30s, um, he was only playing cricket for a few years and he decided to move to, to South Australia. So, Trevor, tell us the reasons, for those who may not know, why did Sidon make that move from New South Wales to, to South Australia and, and live here up until he um, passed away?
1: Well, I, I guess the, the catchword these days would be work-life balance. Um, he felt that in in Sydney everything was uh, based around cricket, and he knew as a, as a cricketer in those days, you had to have um, an occupation as well. And he was a stockbroker by trade, and uh, the opportunity came up. He was offered a job in Adelaide with a stockbroking firm, and that gave him that opportunity to pursue both a business career and, um, and continue with his cricket. Uh, they, uh, him and his wife travelled over to Adelaide under the surname of Mr. and Mrs. Lindsay, um, just to uh, throw the press off the track. They arrived by train. Uh, they were taken to his employer's house in Kensington. Uh, they stayed there for less than a week, but what that meant was he was then, he mean met the registration um, time for to be a South Australian cricketer. So after he'd been here a week, he, he headed off to England with the uh, Australian side as vice-captain at those days um, as a South Australian cricketer. His wife went back to Sydney and stayed there until um, till he came back and they didn't move into their house in Adelaide until 1935 and it was the the only house they ever lived in in, in Kensington Park that, that was their, their home for, for the rest of their lives.
0: Yes, and it's um, still there. Yes, yes, um, To this day. Mm. Um, for those who have watched the Bradman and Tenduka documentary they actually went inside his house with yes. his son John. Yes. And um they still have everything the same as as, as they did when Bradman and Lady Jesse lived there. And and I've been past the house, obviously you know, that's what you do as a cricket tragic. You know, you go to these landmarks and oh that's where Sidon lived. Would yes. have been interesting living near him at the time saying oh you know I live next to Sir Donald Bradman. <laughs> no, <laughs> you're joking. No <laughs> you know he comes out gets his mail you know <laughs> drives his car in. Yes. He invites Shane Warne and Sachin Tendulkar to his house for his yeah. naughty... Yeah. Oh, uh, that would have been so cool to, to be living near him at the time. And that's quite interesting. That's the only house they lived in
1: yes.
0: while living here in Adelaide. It's quite remarkable that the house has survived all those years. Yeah. Since the 30s, it's, it's quite yes. remarkable. Um, and, um, yeah, it's. It, I, I think... For many people, I think uh, the pilgrimage in, in cricket is probably going to Bowerall and going to his actual yes. actual house where he grew up, um, in the mu- uh, or the Bradman Museum, as it's called. Um, it's good to see the his uh, artefacts, collections and stuff like that. Same with the Adelaide Oval as well. Um, so, Trevor, let's talk about Sir Donald's uh, relationship with the Adelaide Oval in terms of his performances. Um Uh, for Australia and for South Australia and for New South Wales because he played a few games for New South Wales at the Adelaide Oval as well. Um, His record at Adelaide Oval in test matches was very good. He he only played seven games between 1929 and 1948, but he um, got 970 runs, high score of 299 not out, at an average of 107 with three centuries and three half centuries, and he only got out for one duck in that period. (laughs) Very rare to see Bradman Uh, fail. Um, But his 299 against um, South Africa, not out in 1932, was the highest ever test score at the Adelaide Oval by batter test matches up until David Warner went past it and got 335, not out against Pakistan in 2019-20. But an interesting uh, thing about that match with uh, Bradman when he got the 299 was the number 11 by the name of Pud Thurlow uh, was run out Leaving Bradman on two ninety nine, so Bradman could have scored his third triple century in yes. Test cricket, and he missed out by one run uh, on that occasion in that Test match against South Africa. So, so Trevor, tell us about Sir Don's performances at Adelaide Oval in Test matches and in first class cricket that we may not be aware of.
1: Well, as you said, he, he scored pretty, fairly prolifically in uh, in Tests at Adelaide Oval, eleven innings in the in the seven matches. Um, we like to tell people on the tours that uh, Bradman never made a century at Adelaide Oval. We then pause and say, but he did make three double centuries in test cricket there. So um, it just gives you an idea of, of how good he, he was. Um, in terms of South Australia, uh, when he came across from, from New South Wales and, and uh, began playing for South Australia, he's, he scored a century in his first game and then his, I think his next two scores were double centuries for South Australia. So uh, we were certainly on a winner um, when he when he got into the side. Uh, he uh, he captained Australia to a couple of Sheffield Shield wins, South Australia, to a couple of Sheffield Shield wins. Um, his his record uh, was very much mirrored what he did in Test cricket. About one ever in every three innings was a century. Um, his average wasn't quite as as good as um, in first class cricket as it was in in Test cricket, but he certainly uh, left nothing there. That uh, you know it was all out there, and he he's had a long career from you know 1935 36 through till uh, I think the last game was 1949, his last first class match. So he actually played his first first class match and his last one at Adelaide Oval.
0: Wow, that's, uh, that's quite interesting. It's, it's a perfect way to finish, isn't it? Like, it is, yeah. Um, in a way, really. Um, so uh, let's talk about um, his role as an administrator and selector for okay. Australia and uh, South Australia, of course, Sir Don. Um, and he was heavily involved in cricket after his playing days, um, Trevor, um, as an administrator, as a selector for Australia and South Australia, as I mentioned. So, Trevor... Tell us about the contributions Sidon made there in that field as an administrator and selector for both Australia and South Australia, but also in the game of cricket as well because he was heavily involved in the game of cricket even long before after he was an administrator and selector.
1: Yes. Um, well, his, his administrative, I guess, role started as a, as a selector for, for South Australia um, when he became captain. And, and then from then on, there was 50 years of almost continuously of being an administrator in both South Australia and uh, and with the Australian Cricket Board, um, a couple of stints as, as chairman of both. Uh, he certainly had his, had his ideas on the way the game should go. And perhaps as it got later in life, those ideas were perhaps in a little bit of conflict with the more modern cricketers. Um, he was very much of the opinion that um, you, know, you played cricket because you loved cricket and it was a privilege to, to pull on a state cap or a baggy green. Um, certainly cricketers in later years became more professional, and I think that uh, that caused a bit of angst between him and particularly people like Ian Chappell, who mm-hmm. were, were all for improving the cricketers. But he, he was very strong in his beliefs, although he could, he could be swayed by good evidence. Um, a great example of that was during the uh, proposed South African tour of, uh, of Australia, the, the rugby had toured and there'd been riots and things. And as he was chairman of um, the cricket board at that stage. And uh, he was very worried. He wanted the tour to go ahead, but he was concerned about the, the riots and things. So he took it upon himself to go to South Africa just to see the situation for himself. He said he didn't have enough information. And he met with the, the leader of South Africa, John Forster, and he asked him directly, uh, why don't you allow Blacks in your team? And he was stunned by the reply that came from the, the South African leader. Uh, he was told that um, that the, the Blacks in South Africa could play rugby, but they didn't have the intelligence to understand the nuances and the all the intricacies of cricket. And uh, when Bradman sort of recovered himself, he said to... Uh, John Forster. have you ever heard of Sir? Or have you ever heard of Gary Sobers? Because he was a you know, huge Sobers fan, um, and he just couldn't understand how someone could could come up with that line. Came back to Australia, um, had a meeting with the board, and then announced in the press that uh, Australia would no longer play matches against South Africa until they picked their team on a non-racial basis. And it was another twenty-two years before we saw a, a South African team. So. Um, while he was initially in favour, the the evidence said no, so he went along with that. And you know, you've got to give him credit for something like that.
0: Yes, because um, it was a very um, difficult yes. situation at the time, of of course. And um, that South Africa series that was meant to take place but didn't was replaced by Australia versus the rest of the world eleven. Yes. Uh, where Sir Garfield Serba scored runs for fun and had a bit of an interesting battle with Dennis Lilly yes. uh, in Melbourne. Um, he bounced him and then Serba said, well, I can do the same thing as well. And he did when Lilly came out of that. Yeah. But, um, yes, yeah, so he, he also had a role to play in, in other areas of cricket as well. He was uh, quite adamant and vocal about uh, ridiculing or getting rid of uh, chuckers from the game. Uh, bowlers who chucked and had a suspect action. He was heavily involved in that um, area of the game because he thought, well, it, it got too bad and we have to do something about it. I, I believe he called a meeting or something and uh, discussed it with all umpires and all officials in South Australian um, Premier cricket and said, you know... I think that came from his,
1: his belief in, in fairness in the game. Mm. And, you know, chucking wasn't fair, so it shouldn't be there.
0: Yeah, uh, he was quite um, adamant on that. Uh, he was also instrumental in the LBW uh, okay. law as well. Uh, went over to England, um, offered his opinions on that. Uh, the offside mm. um, sort of area of the LBW now was pretty much down to Bradman, really. That's what he said. You know, you know b- batters can do that outside leg stump because it's outside leg stump, padded away. But yeah. to the offside, it's sort of not really that fair, so we have to do something about it. So if you're not playing a shot and it's outside the line of the impact, outside the line of off stump, you can be given out LBW. So Bradman had a role to play in that as well. Um He was quite instrumental, but but he always kept an eye on the game, didn't he? Even yes. when he wasn't a part of the of the game anymore, he still watched the game from from afar, didn't Intensely he?
1: Intensely interested in it, yes, and and where it was going.
0: Mm, yeah, absolutely, and even. Watching Sachin Tendulkar on yes. on the TV, and Lady Jesse said, "Come over here, Don. This kid <laughs> looks like you in the way you play." Yes. And and Bradman said, "Yes, he is." And that's why Bradman said, "You know, Tendulkar's probably the best batsman I've I've seen mm. him. I feel like he's playing like I used to play." Because he because yes. Bradman didn't see himself play. It was pretty much he didn't watch any films or anything like that. It was more Lady Jesse who watched all that. So that's why Lady Jesse had that idea that clicked. Yes. Um, and said, um, you better come over here. He looks like you and the way you played. Um, so to to finish off, Trevor, let's talk about his legacy, so Donald's legacy. Um, when people have made a significant impact in, in a chosen field in society or life, uh, they, be, they leave behind a legacy uh, for people to, you know, reflect on, look back on and talk about. So, Trevor, what legacy has Sir Donald Bradman left on the game of cricket? Because it's quite a significant one that he's left, left behind.
1: Well, he certainly left, left some incredible statistics, but I think it's the, um, for younger cricketers that have even never seen him play, have only read about him or, or seen, you know, film of him, I think it's that aspirational thing. You've You've got this guy who was that good at the game um, who everyone knows, practised really hard, uh, worked hard at his game. And there's there's that, I guess, aspirational thing for young cricketers that if you work hard, you mightn't be Bradman, but you can be better than what you are at the moment. Um, so I see that as a, as a huge legacy, certainly in the Australian landscape. At the time when he was playing, um, he was turned into an idol of the game. The times were pretty hard and uh, he gave a, a bit of light in, in sport in Australia and I think that still shines today. He's he's still that light. Um, people still look up to, to what he did on the field particularly and uh, I guess there's lots of young kids that aspire to be like
0: that too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, that, and that's sort of the legacy he's, he's left behind. Um, it was a sad day when he passed in mm-hmm. um, uh, the early 2000s, 2001, when he mm-hmm. passed away. And uh, that was a, a pretty difficult day for the game of cricket, but um, also uh, reflecting on on a person who um, changed the game and became one of the greats of the game, and he will forever be the, the, the great player that ever played the game. He's got statues, um, <laughs> you know, stands named after him, especially at the Adelaide Oval, of course, um, just in front of the... Uh, the hotel is it now um on the opposite know, side of the ground on the yeah, west the side of the, side side of the side. ground he's got he's got his statue there um, So we got the, the the pavilion named after him of course yep. uh so Donald Bradman pavilion um just so many accolades uh that we can give to him so many superlatives we can describe and give Bradman i think we'll just run out of of those because uh, he's he's achieved a lot and certainly one of the greats of the game of cricket and certainly for Australian cricket but also South Australian cricket as well and New South Wales cricket as well when he played there for a bit um, in his early days before he made the move to South Australia. But, um, well, Trevor, thank you so much. I know it's been a bit of a long discussion today but I really enjoyed it immensely um, talking to you for this historical series episode on one of my favourite grounds in the world, the Adelaide Oval to go and watch cricket, especially. Um, it's been fascinating um, hearing what you have to say about the history of the ground uh, and about all the topics we discussed today. So I hope you've enjoyed it and uh, I've certainly enjoyed it as well.
1: I certainly have. Thanks for having me. It's been a wonderful chat. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Trevor. Um, so Trevor, before we go, where should people get in touch again? If they want to go to the Adelaide River for a tour or go to the museum, see the collection where should people go uh, to check that out
1: okay well the um the adelaide oval itself um on king william road memorial drive um corner the southern gate um you can walk across the footbridge from from the center of adelaide or from the adelaide city uh straight across to the oval the southern gates open on non-event days for for people to uh to come in if they like to do a tour they can book online or um, ring the Adelaide Oval Concierge and and make a booking for one of our public tours. And uh, if they choose, they can just wander into the ground and into the Bradman Collection and have a look there if they like.
0: That's, that sounds good. Um, we'll leave a link to all that in the Thanks. description of this episode so people can access that. And it's a must-do when, whenever you're visiting Adelaide. Um, mm just on holiday or even watching the cricket during the summer or football, AFL season's on now, uh, just to go and have a look and learn about the history of this great stadium that's been here for well over 100 or so years. Um, It's quite a wonderful, iconic venue in world cricket, uh, which many people uh, always want to go. It's sort of like Lords, really. You you want to tick it off the list. Uh, So many people have done that. Mm. Um, over the years. And it's a wonderful place to watch cricket, just to sit on the hill or sit in the stands and just have a look at the players. play yes. played this great game of cricket. Once again, thank you, Trevor, for joining me today to discuss the history of Adelaide Oval. I hope all of you watching or listening to this historical series episode learnt a lot more about the Adelaide Oval and its history. Um, thank you, everyone, for watching. Until next time, keep safe and bye for now. Hi, everyone. Hope you enjoyed part two of our historical series episode looking back at the history of Adelaide Oval with ambassador and tour guide Trevor Manuel I hope you enjoyed listening to Trevor and I talk about the Bradman collection the ashes and Sir Donald Bradman it was great fun talking to Trevor about the history of Adelaide Oval I hope all of you learned more about the history of Adelaide Oval thanks everyone for watching or listening to our historical series episode Looking back at the history of Adelaide Oval with ambassador and tour guide, Trevor Manuel.